Paul, why haven't we heard you sing before, brother? Praise the Lord. problem. There we go. All righty. Amen. Amen. That's so, you know, that's technology for you, right? So GYC, wonderful youth conference, and my wife and I came away praying, Lord, may 2016 be a year that we win souls to Christ. Because I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there's a world out there that is dying for love, and they're looking for it in all the wrong places, but we know where to find it, and that is in Jesus. And so my hope and prayer for this year that all of us uh, could echo the words of John the Baptist in John 3.30 that I will decrease and he will increase. And I praise God that we can be here together. Um, if you remember back in November, Pastor Sam and I began a sermon series on stewardship. How do we manage well four areas? We talked about time, treasure, and talent, but we never got around to technology. Because of the holidays, because of guest speakers, we did not have an opportunity to cover technology. So today, we are going to be talking about the stewardship of technology. So I invite you to bow your heads with me as we begin. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in this place, to be gathered together under one roof, and to be worshiping one God. And Lord, we want to bow our hearts, our heads to you today. And we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit here in a mighty, mighty way. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, more than ever before, we live a hyper 
linked life. Gone are the days of receiving information at various times throughout the week. We would pick up maybe the paper in the morning, which, yes, still happens. Maybe we would watch the 6 o'clock news, but now it seems that information and data and knowledge is coming at us at a rapid pace. At any point in time, we can check the internet on our smartphone or our iPad or our iPod. And it seems that more than ever before, we live in an age of technology. Our cars are run by computers. I have a friend whose refrigerator can play Pandora. There's a screen that has a, uh, can connect to Wi-Fi so you can listen to music while you're chopping onions, right? We put our lives out there on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. If you wonder what those are, talk to me afterwards. But more than ever before, we live in an age of technology. And we're connected in some ways more than ever before. This statistic I thought was interesting, that there are almost as many cell phone subscriptions as there are people on earth. Over 7 billion people, 6.8 billion cell phone subscriptions on planet earth. And of those, 1.7 billion smartphones, and that's somewhat old data. I would imagine that that is higher right now. Over Christmas, I was with my wife's family, and so on Christmas Day, we got out our phones and we got to FaceTime with my family. It's like we're in the same living room together. Technology, absolutely incredible. Barna Group did uh, some research and they found that in the next 24 hours, human beings will text 188 billion times, send 144 billion emails, Google 4.7 billion times, download 30 million apps, Skype for 2 billion minutes, write 2.1 million blog posts, and tweet 400 million times before tomorrow at 12.04 p.m. We live in an unprecedented age of technology. Technology is something that you and I interact with on a daily basis. And just like money, which we talked about is not ours. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all who dwell therein. Just as money is not ours, so technology is not ours. And so I believe that an important question that we need to be asking today as Christians and as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, how do I manage and use God's stuff? How do I manage and use technology? Because I believe that we need to utilize technology with effectiveness, purpose, and intentionality. And sometimes I have to ask myself, is that taking place? And so we want to look at technology today. And perhaps to begin this conversation, we need to start out by saying that this is not a technology-bashing sermon. Praise God for technology. As I mentioned before, I was able to speak with my family over Christmas because of technology. There are people here that are able to work in other states from their homes because of technology. There are individuals that are, are able to get to locations because of a GPS on your smartphone. I am able to order a Chipotle burrito, and it's there before I get there. It's made before I get there, and I can pick it up. 
I even have an app for uh, a haircutting location, and I can check of this uh, haircutting location, I can check all of those stores within a 10-mile radius, and it'll tell me the wait time for each one. So if one's a little farther away, that's all right. I can just go to the one that has less wait time. Technology is absolutely incredible. And it's being utilized, I believe, in, in, in very powerful ways today. But, yes, technology is wonderful. But as we talked about a couple of months ago, money is also wonderful. Money is necessary. But we also looked in Scripture how the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. So could it be possible that while technology is wonderful, maybe there's also some side effects? I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Does the Bible have anything to say about technology. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And that could be a hard question to ask. Does the Bible have anything to say about technology? Because Jesus didn't have a Facebook page. The disciples were not on Instagram. There were not computers or televisions back in those days. You know, I sometimes can't help but wonder if Jesus did have a Facebook page. I, I imagine that he would have like, you know, like 90,000 likes and the Pharisees only had like 20,000 and they were really upset like, ah, Jesus has more, right? I don't know. That was, I was talking about that with my wife and she laughed and I'm glad that I have a wife that laughs at my lame jokes. But Ecclesiastes chapter one, Ecclesiastes chapter one, does the Bible have anything to say about technology? And not directly because there was not a lot of technology then But I believe that a principle found here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 18 can begin our discussion on the stewardship of technology. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, For in much, what? Wisdom is much grief or sorrow. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Solomon, in his life, had figured out something. He had figured out that all of the wisdom that he had amassed in his mind, that all of the knowledge that he had accumulated at the end of the day didn't bring him as much happiness as he originally thought. Solomon concluded in his life that from all of the data and information and wisdom that was in his grasp, that at the end of the day, it also caused grief and sorrow. And I can't help but wonder as we see multiple, multiple news stories about someone dying here and a tragedy there, as all of this information and data is coming in, that perhaps knowledge and information is causing us grief as well. You know, in the very beginning, Eve was tempted by knowledge. That is precisely how the snake, Satan tempted Eve. If you eat of this tree, you will know good and evil. From the very beginning, human beings have had this hunger, this desire for knowledge. We want to know. We want to be in the loop. That is why we watch television. We want to know what's going on in the world. That's why we read every blog and every news story. That is why we check our phones first thing in the morning to make sure that the world hasn't died while we were asleep. We 
desire, knowledge, and information. We check our friend's Facebook account every day just to see if there's a new picture. And perhaps Solomon has a clue on all of that information and knowledge that is being amassed that perhaps it's not as great as it seems. And I have figured out that technology has some side effects. You know, if you go to the doctor and they give you some medicine and you take the medicine and it makes you feel better and you look in the fine print and it says side effects. Oh man, maybe I shouldn't have taken that. And in the same way, technology, as wonderful as it is, as powerful as it is, as much as it helps us, perhaps there's some side effects. And I did an informal survey a while back among my friends. And as we began talking, I asked them, what are some of the pros and cons of technology? We were talking about smartphones, but that could be applied to a television or iPad or any other sort of device. And I found that really everything they were saying could be lumped into two categories. Essentially, they said, Jeff, technology is wonderful. I can check my email wherever I want. I can get more work done. I can make an informed decision about what I'm going to buy because I can research it. But they said, it seems that every spare moment I have, I'm checking it. They said, Jeff, I find myself sometimes standing in line and I open up my phone and I type in my password and I check to see if I have any notifications and I put it in my pocket. Then a couple minutes later, I do the same thing again. They said, Jeff, sometimes I find myself watching television all day long and at the end, my brain hurts and I say, Lord, why did I do that? And those two, and I'll come back to that, but those two different side effects Those two different side effects were both in the area of time and productivity and also relationships. Briefly, um, and I forgot to mention this, but isn't it amazing, talking about the benefits of technology, that they put a map, a camera, a phone, a calculator, a video camera, a dictionary, a flashlight, a radio, a bank, a library, and the list could go on all in one device, an iPad or a smartphone. Technology is incredible, but as we mentioned, perhaps there are some side effects, and perhaps in two areas, time and productivity and relationships. Barna Group interviewed some individuals, and they said that smartphones, tablets, you could say television, 53% of those interviewed said they've become a distraction. 47% said they help me be more productive. And I've seen that dichotomy, that, that, that uh, balance where sometimes, yes, it helps me be more productive, but other times, it does not. Millennials, which is an age range of essentially 15 to 35, 56% of them say, I check my phone first thing in the morning. Rest of adults, 40%. When a text message comes in, I usually stop what I'm doing to check it. Millennials, 42%. I would be one of those 42%. All adults, 36%. Fascinating. We're attached, it seems, almost at the hip to this device. I recently was traveling and in the airport at, uh, uh, just down in San Diego, I was looking in my row. There was about 20 people in my row, and I would say that 18 out of the 20 were looking either at a computer or their phone, and they're all right next to it. And it just, it just, it was ironic because here's all these people, these human beings that can talk and speak and think, and we're all huddled together 
staring at this phone. Maybe you've seen at a restaurant. I was once at Soup Plantation, and there was a nice-looking family. They had gotten done eating. There was a mom and dad and their two teenage kids, and they're all done eating, sitting right next to each other, and they're on their phones. Maybe we've seen that before, and I can't help but wonder, is perhaps technology affecting our relationships? Is it affecting our time and productivity? On average, people reach for their phones 150 times a day. And that number for teenagers, those in high school, increases to about 400 times a day. How many times do we reach for the remote or some other piece of technology? So it affects our our time and productivity. I've, I've seen how really maybe we're not that much more productive. And also, as mentioned, our relationships. 49% of millennials said, I think my personal electronics sometimes separate me from other people. And again, as I mentioned, this is not a technology is bad, God is good. No, of course not. Technology is something, a part of our life, and I want to be responsible. I want to be a Christian, a Seventh Adventist Christian who's saying, Lord, how do you want me to manage your things? How, how How can I use it well so that I control it and it doesn't control me? Barna Group interviewed some students and if forced to choose, two-thirds of college students would choose an internet connection instead of a car. Interesting, right? And you know what? I think millennials and those uh, that, that are in that age category can say, man, we use the internet all the time. It's become a part of our life. This picture here is a picture of two individuals in some worn, torn country and here's an individual that, 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 that's gotten a little boy that's gotten hit by perhaps a bomb or something that's taking place. He's bleeding. He's in his mother's arms. And around him are a bunch of thumbs. And it says, liking isn't helping. Mercy. And those that are not familiar with that, basically on, on Facebook, which is a social media site, someone can share a picture and someone can click a little thumb that says, I like that. Here's another picture of a Boy, malnourished. Again, thumbs all around and liking isn't helping. Perhaps we're so engaged online, but we're missing out on those around us. We're so connected, but at the same time, maybe we're also alone. There was a professor uh, at MIT. Her name is Sherry Turkle. And I watched a TED Talk three or four years ago Uh, that was called Connected But Alone. And she first noticed something when her daughter invited one of her friends to come and spend some time at their house. And so she came over and she took a picture in this TED Talk and her daughter and her friend are on the couch and both of them are right next to each other and they're on their phones. And I can't help but wonder, we're so close to each other and yet at the same time, maybe we've never been more disconnected in our lives. Because God has created us as relational beings, hasn't he? Turn with me briefly to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. Revelation 22. This is talking about the new heavens and the new earth. 22 verse 4. And the Bible says this, 
they shall see his what? His face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. Why does he include that detail? They shall see his face. Because from the very beginning, my friends, God is longing to spend some face time with his people. He wants more than anything else to be physically in the ones that he created their presence. God is a relational being. He created us to like being around other people. That is why Adam was so excited when God created Eve. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, someone that I can talk to and interact with. God created us in his image, and since he's a relational being, we too are relational beings. Amen? And God desires, he knows that we crave that human interaction, and I've noticed in my own life as well that perhaps technology in some way can distract from the relationships around me. Renee Robinson is a mother that wrote an article uh, last year, and I, I want to read to you what she wrote. She specifically wrote a letter to her three boys. She had three young growing boys, and she wrote them a letter, and she said, I want you to grow up knowing the world doesn't revolve around you. One day your wife will thank me, amen? I want you to learn to give selflessly of yourself, to give away your time, your talents, your treasures. If I distract you with electronics when you should be cheering for your brother, well, I'm simply telling you that your happiness is more important than giving your time to someone other than yourself. You know, I learned very quickly when I was dating my wife, Nikkel, that checking my email and sending text messages during a date was a bad idea. And technology has this way. Talisha's nodding her head. Come on. All right? Sometimes us guys, and we're slow learners. But technology has this way of slowly pulling us apart. We sit in front of a screen for hours. We, at the dinner table, are still watching television. And it has a way of pulling us away from who really matters. And you know, I was telling the youth this uh, this morning. I was, I was thinking... It's about this sermon, about technology, and, and thinking about how much technology has affected me. I mean, this is a sermon for Jeff Harbour, let me tell you. I'm a millennial, I'm a young person, and I wrestle with my use of technology. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, you know what? The Lord put on my mind, I'm not going to get up to heaven and say, you know what? I wish I would have watched TV for a couple more hours, man. Man. I'm not going to be in heaven and say, you know what? I really wish I'd posted that one picture. Ah, I forgot. Or I really wish that I would have liked that person's page. Of course not. What's going to matter in heaven when we get there is my brother is not here. My spouse is not here. People is what truly matters, my friends. So I think that with technology, there needs to be maybe a little skull with crossbones that says, warning, side effects, beware. Steps to Christ, page 58, says this. Who has the heart? With whom are our thoughts? Of whom do we love to converse? Who has our warmest affections and our best energies? If we are Christ, our thoughts are with him, and our sweetest thoughts are of him. All we are and have is consecrated to him. We long to bear his image, breathe his spirit, do his will, and please him in all things. Amen? Jesus, I want your glory number one. 
Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel. You know what? That was a test. I tricked you. It's actually Jeremiah. See? I'm glad I checked my notes. Man, keeping you on your toes, you know? All right, Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10. They're right next to each other, so I want to make sure you knew where it was. It was nice of me, wasn't it? Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 3. The Bible says, Jeremiah 10 verse 3, For the customs of the people are what? Futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. What is Jeremiah talking about? He's talking about Israelites, and he's talking about idols. He's talking about idols, and here are people that go and take a tree and carve out an idol. They carve out an idol, and they decorate it with shiny things. And then, verse 5, notice what the Bible says. They are upright like a palm tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. Now, I was thinking here about this passage. And here you have the Israelites that had small idols, small wooden idols. And it's interesting that these small wooden idols, the Bible says, cannot speak. They cannot hear. They're carried around. And why is it if they can't speak or hear and carried around, why is it that God would say in the middle of verse 5, do not be afraid of them? The people were afraid of a piece of wood. The people's lives centered around that idol. They would make food and offer it to the idol. They would sing songs to the idol. They would get upset at family members who didn't join them in offering to this idol. They would wake up early and bow down and pray to the idol. So notice that their entire lives centered around a piece of wood. And I couldn't help but think in Jeff Harper's own life. Perhaps in some point, in some ways, technology is the same. We are controlled by it rather than we, we, we don't control it, it controls us. Our entire lives, our emotions are affected by technology. And here God says, hey, do not be afraid of them. Turn with me now to, to Psalms 115. Psalms 115. As you're turning there, Psalm 113, I couldn't help but think as I read Jeremiah that so much time and effort and resources are dedicated to technology. I don't get good grades because I find myself scrolling for hours on technology. I spend less time with my family because of technology. I spend less time on my knees because of technology. And sometimes I wonder, are we controlling the phone or is it controlling us? Do we have a grip on it or does it have a grip on us? Psalms 115 and verse 3. 
Here's what the Bible says, Psalms 115 and verse 3. It says, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. That's actually one of my favorite verses because I trust God. If God has a a heart of love, if God has a heart of love, then that means that I can trust whatever He pleases is good, amen? So here's God, and it says He does whatever He pleases, and then it says in verses 4 through 7, essentially similar to what Jeremiah said. He said, these idols have ears, but they don't really hear. They have eyes, but they don't really see. They have noses, but they don't really smell. They have hands, but they cannot handle. They have feet, but they don't walk. They don't have any human characteristics. And then the climax, I believe, of his argument in verse 8 is this, that those who make them are what? Like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Those who make idols eventually become like idols. So much time and attention is focused on the work of their hands that they lose their sense of reality. By beholding what we become changed. And sometimes, my friends, I think that when we hide ourselves behind technology, we lose sense of reality. We like watching movies because for a couple of hours, we don't have to think about the pain of our spouse saying those unkind words. For a couple of hours, we don't have to worry about the bills that will be paid. Technology becomes an escape, some way to escape the pain. Like Adam and Eve who ran away from God when they sinned, we run away to Facebook, social media, television, a movie, anything to drug the pain. And the entire time, Jesus is saying, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden. The entire time, Jesus says, my love alone can heal your wounds. Amen? Jesus is the balm of Gilead, and I have found rest for my soul in the arms of Christ, and technology does not do the same. Let's look at one last passage, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, Genesis, Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, the Bible gives us how many commandments? Ten commandments. Beautiful relational commandments that can be summed up. God is love. Love God and also love your neighbor. And here the first commandment, verse 3, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. That is essentially the who of who we worship. God says, worship God. And then in verse 4, the second commandment, God gives us the how of worship. Don't have any other gods, and the how is don't make for yourself a carved image of that God. And as I was reading this, this passage, thinking about idols, I asked myself the question, really, what is an idol? Because I don't think that any of us have a temptation when we're out in the woods, oh, if I could only sink my axe into that tree, man, I'd make myself an idol, right? You don't have that type of temptation. What is idolatry? Well, my study Bible has a note, and I really appreciated 
the definition that the author of this commentary had on idolatry. They said, idolatry is not limited to images, but is anything substituting God's control in one's life with something else. Anything substituting God's control in one's life with something else. And I wondered, God, do you control my emotions? Or does seeing what someone wrote about me online control my emotions? Does God control my anger? Or does watching my least favorite politician on TV say something I didn't like? Does God control my time? Or does social media and a movie and television? Does God control my morning when I wake up and spend time with Him? Do I spend more time on Facebook or with my face in this book? Who do I give my first, last, and best thought? Who consumes my time and attention? As we already read, who has the heart? With whom are my thoughts? Who do I love to converse? And my prayer, my friends, is Jesus, I want to be all yours. Jesus gave all of himself to me, and I want to give all of myself to him. What wondrous love that Christ would be willing to take his character, and if I accept him as my Savior, his character stands in place of mine. And that leads me to follow him more closely. Jesus met the same temptations that I meet. He voluntarily made himself just as dependent upon a power outside of himself as I am in resisting temptation. Jesus demonstrated that it is possible for one weak as I am to be obedient to God and to be free from sin. And I love how one poet said it, wonderful things in the Bible I see, but this is the dearest, that Jesus loves me. My friends, I want more than anything else for Jesus to consume my time and thoughts and attention. And so I believe all of us need to ask ourselves the question, does technology rule me or do I rule technology? Do I allow it to consume all of my time or just part? When was the last time that I spent a whole day? When was the last time that Jeff Harper spent a whole day without my phone? How often have we checked apps to get a piece of information or communicate with someone we never met? Have you been told by a friend or family member lately to put down your phone or spend some time away from the television? And perhaps all of us need to take an honest look, me included, and say, Lord, how do I interact with technology that you've given me? My, sir, my, my, my friends, this sermon is not just about the hyperlink life. It's about being unplugged from the hyperlink life. How do we manage it? How do we come to a place where we rule it and it doesn't rule us? And maybe some of you are thinking, man, Jeff, I don't even have any technology. Praise the Lord. All right? Keep on keeping on. Or maybe you say, you know, I don't struggle with it all. Or sometimes, maybe there's some here that say, Jeff, you have no clue how much I wrestle with it. And friends, there is hope in Jesus for you. So I want to briefly, in conclusion, look at seven practical steps to become unplugged from technology. How do we become unplugged from the hyperlinked life? Well, the first is to create intentional space for conversation. 
What do I mean by that? I mean make your dinner table a phone-free zone. Make dinner time a TV-free zone. Designate areas in your house where you can just have unlimited conversation. Create intentional space to talk with other people. This individual, uh, Jesse Carey from Relevant Magazine, shared, I believe, a convicting quote. Beyond anything, it, technology, has made us forget how to actually be present. The digital revolution has empowered constant distraction that allows us to forget about what we're doing at the moment and instead see images of what we have done or look at what others are doing or plan what we're doing next with forgetting about the moment. Be in the moment, my friends. When you go to the store, intentionally look someone in the eye and say, hey, hope you have a great day. Smile. Second thing, I believe that we can do a practical step to become unplugged from the hyperlinked life is to set a time limit. Set an alarm for how much time you will be on. Only 30 minutes, for example, on social media before I get everything else done. You know, there was a journalist that visited Steve Jobs' home. And I want to read to you what his thoughts were upon entering Steve Jobs' home. He says this, I'm sure I responded with a gasp and dumbfounded silence. I'd imagine that Steve Jobs' household was like a nerd's paradise. The walls were giant touchscreens, the dining room table was made from tiles of iPads, and that iPods were handed out to guests like chocolate on a pillow. Nope, Mr. Jobs told me, not even close. And if you read the rest of the article, he found out that Steve Jobs didn't even let his kids own the same devices that he was selling and creating. Wow, that uh, made me do a lot of thinking. And so young people, when your parents do set time limits, work with them. It honestly is for our good. Set time limits. Third thing that I believe we can do is have someone keep you accountable. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. God gave us friends and family for a reason, so use them. If you struggle with too much time watching television or too much time on your phone, tell your spouse or your parents or your friend and set up a buddy system where they can help you. You know, um, um, there was a period in my life I've shared this with the young people before where I noticed that I was spending too much time, too much time on social media with the excuse, well, I need to stay connected with the youth. And something that helped was I told my wife, honey, I want you to delete, or not delete, but I want you to to change my password on social media and you keep it. And that's exactly what happened. And it was one of the best things for me. And I believe that at times we need to help or have other people help us keep accountable. Fourth thing, if you need to, get rid of it. I want to uh, read to you this article or this quote from Allison Tate. She wrote an article about her sons. She said, the question of managing screen time, 
who is on what screen, how to protect those in front of the screens from things they may not unsee or unhear is a constant, exhausting issue that frankly makes me want to go full-on Amish on all of them and throw every last screen away, right? And there's been times in my life where, you know what, forget this. I want to go live out in the woods and have some food over a campfire and spend some time with my friends. This uh, Bible verse in Ezekiel 18.31 convicted me as well. Throw away all the terrible idols with which you committed your crimes. Change your heart and spirit, people of Israel. Why should you do the things that will cost you your life? Mercy. Friends, if some technological device is an idol, the Bible says it's not worth keeping it. If you're watching television all day, or if you struggle with the use of it, could it be potentially true that that could cost you your salvation? And my friends, as mentioned before, when we get to heaven, all we're going to say is, man, I wish I had spent more time with Jesus. He is so attractive. He is so beautiful. Oh Lord, why did I not read about your loveliness more? And friends, the good news is that that can happen today. Amen? Fifth thing, protect the Sabbath. As I mentioned before, men who perhaps are thinking about someday dating someone else, leave the phone at home. Protect that time with your friend and loved one. And the Sabbath, my friends, is a date with God. The Sabbath, as one author wrote it, is a palace in time where we come and spend time with our Creator and Master and King. And so I challenge you to make a commitment to protect those Sabbath hours not watch television or spend time on social media or checking your email. And this is not me saying don't do this or give it to Jesus. You talk with him, all right? I'm just making suggestions here, all right? Don't be upset at me, be upset at him. And go and, go and say, Lord, I want to spend a time with you. I love your presence. Lord, I want to be with Jesus. Number six, put God first in the morning, Amen. Desire of Ages, the author writes, this is a commentary on the life of Christ, talking about Jesus, no other life was ever so crowded with labor and responsibility as was that of Jesus. Can someone raise their hand and say that sounds like your life? How many of you feel like, oh, there's just one thing to do after another? I mean, more than ever before, in this age of technology, we're busier than we have been. And that was Jesus. Jesus understands what you're going through. And he says, yet how often was he found in prayer. How constant was his communion with God. Again and again in the history of his earthly life are found such records as these. Rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed unto a solitary place, and there he prayed. Great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities, and he withdrew himself unto the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Oh, my friends, you will be blessed if God is first, last, and best in everything in your life. Put God first in the morning. Wake up and say, Lord, this day is yours. Lastly, number seven, use technology for God. And my friends, I wanted to end like this because I'm telling you that God is using technology to win souls to Christ. He is. He is using technology to win souls to Christ. 
The Bible says, as uh, Kirsten read Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel would be preached in a percentage of the world. Is that what it says? In all the world, as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. If you did not have a New Year's resolution, I just gave one to you. Your New Year's resolution can be to share your faith with someone else, to win a soul to Christ. And we sometimes wonder, how is God going to accomplish all this? And I believe the answer to that question is through media ministries. Amazing facts. It is written. Avenus World Radio, Audioverse are all doing fantastic things. One of our own church members, Curtis Farnham, has started a media sharing platform where people can also go and listen to sermons online. I heard a testimony at GYC of an individual in a foreign country, I've forgotten where, but he was randomly surfing the internet online. He was seeking something better in his life, and somehow, I don't know how, but somehow he came across a ministry called Audioverse. Audioverse is a sermon sharing platform where you can listen to Christ-centered biblical sermons online, and he started listening to all these sermons, and, and his heart began to be stirred and touched, and he eventually gave his heart to Jesus and found an Adventist church and was baptized in the Seventh Adventist church. Random individual, all because of technology. I was reading in my set of emails that I got from a media ministry called Amazing Facts, which is utilizing TV and internet and radio to share the gospel, that one individual named Roy was a DJ in a large nightclub in New York City. He worked as a DJ at night and during the day for one of the largest radio stations in the city, and he had a good life. And Roy came home one day wanting to relax, wanting to unwind, wanting to kick back, and so he turned on the television and he came across a program called Amazing Facts. And he almost switched the channel, but one word that the speaker said caught his attention. He listened to the rest of the 30-minute program. He signed up for Bible studies and a few months later, met Christ and became a Seventh-day Adventist. All because of technology. So friends, please know that technology can be a powerful tool in God's hand to further His kingdom. And what we need to do as Christians, and as Seventh-day Adventists, is ask God, am I using technology or is technology using me? Am I using it for your own honor and glory to spread your work? Or does it have a grip on me? And praise God that we have an all-compassionate, all-knowing Savior. Amen? I want to invite my brother and William to come up. And they're going to sing the first stanza and chorus of our closing hymn. Jonathan will play and William will sing the first chorus, the first verse and chorus. And, I, and I, what I want us to do is this, is, as he is singing this beautiful song, Near to the Heart of God, just the first verse and chorus, I want us to close our eyes and to simply have a talk with Jesus and say, God, I want to use all of my time for your honor and glory. Lord, I want your presence more and more. God, please come into my heart. And Father, may I be like you.